All right, let me just uh, tell you what this is and what the genesis of this. Whenever I go to universities, it becomes obvious. I, I don't teach religion. I don't have any degrees in religion. Uh, I'm teaching medical stuff. Um, I do continuing medical units at Ohio State University and a few other places. The, um, uh, the other places are more rare, but I still do those uh, and still do a lot of writing and research and teaching and that sort of thing. Now, it becomes obvious to the people after a while, they'll look at my bio or the like and they'll say, are you a Christian? You, you minister? And I'll say, yeah, yeah. And they'll say, well, how can you be a scientist and? And I'll say, well, I'm not allowed to tell you until it hits 11 o'clock or whatever it is. But then anybody that wants to stay, just ask any question. And that became something I did. In Detroit public schools, I would go in and they would be told about a month ahead of time, get your questions about Christianity or about the Bible or about whatever. And uh, this guy will be in and he'll just answer your questions. And I'd walk in, they'd hand me the questions and we'd go. I love that kind of stuff. So, if you want to ask any questions, they could be personal, uh, they could be about uh, doctrine, they could be about history in the churches, whatever you really want to go for. If I have an answer, I'll give it to you. If I don't, I'll make it up so brilliantly <laughs> that you'll think I had the answer, uh, and we'll go from there. So, there is a microphone. Uh, our own Phil Donahue here has, uh, it will run to you with the microphone if you have a question. If you don't, this gets a lot shorter and we get to beat the Baptist to the restaurants. Oh, oh, the food's downstairs, that's right. We don't have to go far. And we are keeping the Baptist out, right? Okay. Now, now, we just said they could come to the table. Any questions you've got? Because if not, I'll just start talking and that'd be tragic. Yes, over here, see, that, that threats work. I haven't read your bio, but uh, congratulations, and I'm very happy you're here. Thank you. Um, did you, did I hear it right? Did you say you were a shrink? Yeah, you st I have two, P two PhDs and that okay. sort of thing. I wasn't an MD shrink. I was the other kind of research. Okay. I see. Um, yeah. okay. You consider that a good basis for uh, ministry? Uh, it helps me work with elders, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know if you signed the contract yet. My wife says if he hasn't, we need to behave until January. So I don't. I, I have been told that the elders have a contract on me. Uh, I'm assuming. <laughs> now the elders here are wonderful fellows. I'm looking forward to getting to work with them. I've known some of them for a while now. Um, I don't think we ne needed to sign a contract. We just needed to say this is what we want to do, and we've agreed together. And someone be nice to us till January. I got that, yeah. Yes. Someone's headed that direction. Uh, I'm a perpetual guest, my wife and I, for the last two years at this church. The question I have in the battle I'm having where we live in West Tennessee, I'm old time Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I know where you're coming. There's a confusion on baptism. Mm -hmm. The way we perceive it and the way the world looks at it. And I would like you just to talk on that because I need it just to help me to define where we are, what we are, and the reason. Sure, sure, absolutely. 
And yes, I know about Old Line Church of Christ. I was raised in it. I participated in it enthusiastically until um, really it was science that helped me start knowing how to look critically at everything. And I began to realize that a whole lot of buildings we had built had no foundation. And that became a, a crisis of faith that I was only saved by my angel, Cammy, and uh, by the kindness of, of the Holy Spirit of God. When it comes to baptism, that's one of those dividing lines that divides us from a lot of other churches. I do not apologize for baptism at all. It is a sacrament. It is an avenue of grace that God has given us. It does come from an Old Testament idea where um, you had to wash before you entered the temple. We are the temple of God, and we are washed as we began our work as being the living, breathing, moving temples of God on this planet. Does that mean that I believe that everybody who has not been baptized is lost? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Is that a contradiction? Not really. Uh, because, in fact, if you read through Scripture, you'll find that there are a large number of things that we are said we're saved by. Everything from saved by faith, from saved by faithfulness, or saved by uh, you know, our community, saved by the blood of Christ, on and on and on. I believe that salvation is more of a process than an event. Uh, I was baptized when I was uh, 11 years old. Wasn't um, much of a Christian after that. But had I died, I think I would have gone to heaven. Why? Because I did what I knew how to do. And baptism was part of it. Alexander Campbell got in big trouble over this question because he was written a letter by a lady from Lunenburg, Virginia. And you can look up the Lunenburg letter and you will find it all over online. The lady was, uh, has been identified in recent years. She, was, she hid, but historians have done some forensics and found her that she was the wife of Dr. John Thomas who had disagreements with Campbell and started the Christadelphian church. She was trying to stir up trouble. And she said, do you believe that only those who are baptized according to the New Testament pattern will be saved and none else? And he said, no. Does that surprise you? He, he went on for a great defense of baptism, but then he said, but God only requires you to walk by the light that you have. And if you do not have this understanding, and yet you've given your life to Christ to serve him in the best way that you know, then who am I to say you are not saved? So, we do not use that sacrament of baptism as a line to divide, but rather as a pool to invite everybody to and to participate in. We do not worry about the form, oh no, I didn't get their finger under. We understand that this is an act of love and grace, not a magic act. Magic acts, you have to do everything exactly right or you don't get the rabbit. We're not looking for a rabbit. This is, not a, this is a relationship. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. My wife and I were married 34 and a half years ago. So, we got it down? Not really. We found out that we were two different people. We'd married dreams, ended up with people. And it's a relationship from there on out. I do not go up to Cammy and say, right, so we're married. What are, the, what are the essential acts I must do to remain married? If, if I did that, we wouldn't be happy, would we? It wouldn't be safe either because she owns a Glock, but that's beside the point. <laughs> we are married because we made a vow to each other and we're going to spend the rest of our life in this dance called life, learning each other.
And that's what we do with Jesus too. Baptism is a fantastic beginning. It is a command of God. We are told that baptism saves us like the ark saved Noah. That's a little hard to get around, so I don't try to. But I also do not limit God and his love. And if he chooses to love, in fact, if I get up to heaven and I see everybody else has made it, I will rejoice. I will not feel cheated because I had to get wet. No, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. And so, yes, baptism, you come to me. Um, we have members of our church uh, in Colorado. We did in Michigan. We have elsewhere where, um, and by the way, we were in, in Michigan for 10 years. In Colorado, we've just been two and a half. We don't plan to go anywhere. If we're coming here, this has got to be the last place. So you either got to keep us here until we die or kill us. Because um, <laughs> we've had it uh, with trying to sell a house and, in this market. Anyway, coming back to this, we've had members who were not baptized, and we called them members, and we called them brothers and sisters in Christ, and we meant it. And yet, when we talked to them, we would say, what doth hinder you? This is a decision one makes between you and God. Let's not, let's not let this one go aside. One of the reasons, and you didn't ask for this, and I don't mean to do a sermon here, because you've already had the collection, so what's the point? Um, the, um, one of the reasons I love baptism is because of its psychological meaning. Once you think about this, I can believe in God and nobody else will know. I can repent of my sins in my living room and you won't know that it ever happened. I can even confess to the walls that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But to be baptized, I have to put my life in somebody else's hands and enter a foreign environment. I see some symbolism there. And it helps me with my Christian life to realize I got started by giving myself away. That's the way this works. So I don't apologize for baptism. I'm aware that some people think it's a watering down to say that God can save others. No, I think it's an understanding of who God is to say he can do what he jolly well wants to. Although you probably don't say jolly well very often. Other, other questions? Yes, sir. Next time, over there. I like to see Dave run. He actually had a whole bunch of microphones ready for this and they all disappeared. So if you see a large doo-wop group on the corner later, <laughs> those are our microphones. Yes, sir. First of all, I want to say that uh, I believe that God has created everything that's in existence. Mm -hmm. I believe that with all my heart. Mm -hmm. The question I have is how was the universe created and uh, the thinking that uh, you being a scientist and understanding how creation works in our natural world um, and when I see uh, various landforms being formed through volcanic action and plate tectonics and all of that um, the question is, uh, even though God has created the heavens and the earth, did he create the heavens and earth in a natural way in which things occur today as far as creation? Okay. 
I have no problem with that question at all. Uh, first of all, God could have created everything instantaneously in a millisecond, and I'd been fine with it. Uh, he could create things over a, uh, a, a six-day period with one day off, which hasn't ended. I don't know if you've actually looked at John chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that last day six is a huge long day, if you check your look, because Adam gets to name everything, take a nap, wake up with a wife. I mean, a whole lot of things are going on during this time. So let's just state, and I like the way you started it. I believe that we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, not by our understanding of how the universe began. All right? There is room for disagreement on this. I look out my back window, and there's Pikes Peak, 14,114 feet of wrong rock. It doesn't belong there. It's an outlier. It belongs hundreds of miles away. Evidently, it took a trip. It's the only one there like it. All around it is not made up of that. It's different. You know, uh, and you look, at, you look at the forms. I fly over, look down, see the Grand Canyon. I see rivers and fissures and like. Can God make things through billions and billions of years? Absolutely. Does that affect my faith? No. Why? Because Genesis chapter 1 is not a science text. It is a Hebrew poem. Take a look. Day 1, day 4 are parallel. Day 2, day 5, parallel. Day 3, day 6, parallel. Day 7, the wrap-up. There were lots of poems like that in the Hebrew language. They weren't meant to be taken as science text. Are you seriously going to tell Moses how you created something ex nihilo, out of nothing? How's he going to get that? If I start talking about quantum physics to some of you, your eyes will start rolling back and your ears will bleed. Why? Because that's not your field. You come talk to me about computers or plumbing, the same thing will happen. God had to tell us that he did it in, a, in an absolute power and such, and, and he did. But he didn't tell us how. We got room to play with that one. Now, if you're wondering, ah, does he believe in evolution? Sure I do, and so do you. I'll explain. I believe that God made, a, made dogs, made canis. I don't believe God made poodles. <laughs> I know him. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> but we took canis, and we selectively bred it until it finally looked like an explosion in a Q-tip factory. <laughs> and we put it on our lap and called it Fifi. That's our fault. <laughs> but that's evolution. You do it all the time. We're driving across Kansas. There'll be a sign that the, this particular university extension is testing this particular seed over here. What did they do? They blended other seeds. That's evolution. My um, people in Scotland have a very small pool of people to marry. So after a while in the clan system, it's best to stretch out a bit. And so I married an American because our, our gene pool, frankly, needed some chlorine. We have a beautiful daughter. My son is six foot five. When he was going into the Marine Corps, the doctor looked at me and goes, so who's the father? I went, stop you. Yeah, um, where does he get his height? From me. I wasn't using mine. <laughs> Some of you are selfish and keep it to yourself, but I shared. That's evolution. Evolution means change. But if you're talking about Darwinism, where everything comes from one life form, then I have issues because that's an information issue. Uh, you, can, you can breed a dog to where it's almost a non-dog, but it's still a dog. 
You go everything from Newfoundland, you know, Mastiffs, to uh, the little purse shaky dogs. But they're dogs. You breed things to the edge. You can breed, um, for example, lions and tigers are still part of the cat family. And you can get a liger, Napoleon Dynamite was right, but they don't have wings and the like, and you can only breed them in a petri dish because they don't date well, if you get my drift. <laughs> Once you get a liger, however, it is sterile. Why? You went too far to the edge. God made kinds. He was involved in the process, whether he did it in, in six days or whether he did it in six trillion years. Don't much care, except, think about this, if God is patient enough to do trillions of years to bring us all to this point, then isn't he patient with you today? There might be an upside to believing that. But however you believe on that, I would have an interesting lunch with you. And as long as we both believe in Jesus Christ, we're going to be fine. So that's where I am on it. And I'm still reading, still studying, and still going, oh, I didn't know that. And enjoying the process. Yes, over here. I seem to remember that there's a quotation in the Bible that a day with the Lord um, is as a thousand years. Yeah, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, but yeah. I don't know what And exactly a thousand years is as of a day. Yes, a Peter. Day. Yeah. So I can see there would be a lot of leeway there in, in projecting the, the time we've been the, on the earth. There can be. Some people have tried to make the days an age, and they'll do a day-age theory. I actually do have science problems with that one because... Um, you know, plants are made an age before the sun then. And you're going, all right, how did that work? Um, I think it's a poem, and I think it's a very important poem, and it tells us God made all things. But the how and the why and the, the process. With, uh, with Peter, his days of the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, was to keep us from be losing heart because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said he'd come back. And it's easy for us to go, well, he's not coming, is he? And Peter goes, don't be like the people on the day of the ark. Remember Noah preached for 100 years, got nothing? Only his own, his, his own family were the only people coming to church. Worst preacher ever. <laughs> also worst carpenter. It took him 100 years to build a box. I had one lady try to correct me. She said, no, no, that took him all that time because he was bringing in the animals. No, he wasn't. God said he brought the animals. I can see him watching him try to build a box going... Okay, I'll do the animals. Right. Um, but that whole point was, don't lose heart. He is coming back. Yes. Hey, Patrick. So Hello. glad that you and Cammie are here with us now. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it very much. And I've been very intrigued by your um, blog, travelingme.com, I guess it is. Dot net. Dot yep. net. Yep. And um, the recent post about women in mm -hmm. the church and um, I'm kind of sad to say that I grew up in an age where felt a little battered um, by my church uh, having been a woman so I hope and I guess the question is that we will get to explore more of that while you are here and um, if you want to just kind of let everybody know you know what you've been writing about and so forth I think that might be helpful okay sure um, Travelingmead.net was just established actually a couple of months ago because Wineskins is being rebooted and they've asked me to write for them. So I pulled down a blog I've been running for six years called Tent Pegs. We're going to try to make that some free ebooks uh, to send to people 
so they can have that material. What tent pegs was for six years was anybody could ask me a religious question and I would answer it, even though that meant I get shelled. I do get hate mail every week, and I have for decades, and I'm okay. I'm, I'm a big boy, and I was born without a fear gene. I don't know why, but I, I'm not afraid. I don't have a backup in me. I'm going to love you, and uh, I'm either going to outlove you or outlive you. You know, that you've got the two choices. Uh, we can hug each other, I'm burying you, but the one of the two. <laughs> and I'll do it in love. I'll cry, but I'll do it. Um, when it comes to women, we have often tried to use the Bible as if it were a manual for a cargo cult. And it is not. For example, Paul said, keep silent. Well, yeah, he did in First Timothy chapter 2. But if you take a look at verse 2, he also told the men to be silent but they translate that word peace instead. Oh, isn't that handy? <laughs> In Romans chapter 16, Junia is a female name, and he says that she was highly esteemed among the apostles. And so in the 1800s, Nestle and Westcott and Hort decided to make that Julie, uh, a, a man's name, Junius, which doesn't exist in the first five centuries. Nobody was named that. They just switched it. Why? Because they couldn't imagine there'd be a woman apostle. So it must be, and have you, I even had somebody recently said, that was a man's nickname. No, it wasn't. Sorry. There were no man, men nicknamed that. This was a woman apostle. Deal with it. How about the four daughters of Philip who prophesied with her, with him rather? Uh, what about Priscilla who taught Apollos? We, we cannot take 1 Timothy chapter 2, an outlier, and say, that one runs all the others. What we have to do is say, what was going on in where Timothy was? Where Timothy was was in Ephesus. I'll just, we're going to actually slowly unwrap this over the next five or six blogs on, on Traveling Mead. Uh, but I'll, I'll, because I like you, I'll give you a head. This is a trailer for coming attraction. In Ephesus, there was a cult that taught that Eve was created first, that Adam was the one who sinned, and uh, that women were the source of all wisdom on the planet. They had tried to, to, it was a Gnostic cult. Paul was correcting those women when he talked about this. He was not saying all women. In fact, it doesn't say, I, if, in the oldest manuscripts we have, it doesn't say, I tell the women to keep silent. It says, I tell those women. Speaking about a group. Same thing in Corinth. That's why before and after he's telling women how to pray and prophesy in public. And then says, keep silent. It is an attitude. It is a hum humility attitude. It's about being teachable, approachable, non-disruptive. And it is applied to men far more than to women in Scripture, but it is rarely translated that way. So, do I, do I believe that women can do anything? Probably, but I do believe that each community of Christians gets to make those decisions. So I don't plan to come in here with a big machete and start clearing paths. I want to see where are you? Where do you need to be? What is this community like? If we were on 8 Mile in Detroit, um, that's a road, 8 Mile in Detroit, uh, I would ask the women if they would do us a favor of being quiet, 
because we would be in a Muslim-heavy community where our outreach would be dulled at first. So give us a generation. Climb on the cross. I know how painful that has to be to be even asked. But for the cause of Christ, can you do that? In other words, what works here may not work there, may not work there, may not work there. Let's come, let us reason together and find out who we want to be. Um, you had a woman up here, a very fine woman, Nancy, at the, the Lord's table. I'm, I was encouraged to see it, really was, because I didn't know where you stood on this and ask. Um, in fact, the... I think the elders are probably a bit surprised I didn't ask about a bunch of these things. I don't, I don't care. Do you love Jesus? Are you ready to move? Then let's rock and roll. Let's go. Let's find out where it is. Yeah. So that will be unwrapped there, um, and I will continue to be uh, receiving hateful emails and, and mail. And I will continue to say, you know, this is horrible, but not as bad as I deserve, and throw it away. Does that help? Did that get you there? Okay. All the way over in the corner here. Or did some of the teens have a question? Is this the teen section? This is, this is the bad neighborhood? <laughs> love teens. I love your enthusiasm, and I love that you're not us. I really do. Because, look. <laughs> well done. Yes, sir. Uh, what is your take on love your enemies? Uh, um, as long as they're lovable and not really my enemies, uh, I'm good at it. It is one of the hardest things God has called me to do, honestly. Um, sad, I have no enemies, but I am the enemy of several people. Uh, they, they write horrible things about me and my wife. In fact, one called. I wasn't home. Cammie, he doubted everything I said to the point where when Cammie answered the phone, they said, is this his so-called wife? Okay. He gets to go to heaven too uh, because of Jesus, not because of him, me or him or the like. I, um, I believe it's very hard to love my enemies, but I've been called to do so because God doesn't want me to have enemies. Well, what does that mean? Well, I come from a military family. My son, United States Marine until very recently. Of course, once a Marine, always. I know what to mean. But he's, he doesn't have it on a uniform and not you know, kicking indoors in Fallujah. He's in Detroit, which is worse. But um, <laughs> am I a pacifist? I am not a pacifist. And people will say, well, then how can... Aren't you supposed to love the person that's coming through the door to rob and kill you? Yes. But I don't love just that person. I also love the wife behind me. Loving your enemies is not a surface thing. There are many layers and it is very difficult. My goal in life is to not have enemies. Love everybody enough to where they're not my enemies anymore. Um... I had a lady, years ago, we'd just come back from Scotland, and this lady came up to me and looked at me after I'd been there for, I don't know, a month or two, and she said, well, preacher, I don't think much of you. I don't like your sermons. So I hugged her. She wasn't prepared. 
It's like hugging a post. And I whispered in her ear, all right, you don't like me, but you'd better learn to, because when we get into heaven, I'm moving next to you. <laughs> we became very good friends. <laughs> so that, that's all I know. You know I, I'm, I'm not going to... I just don't have enemies. And if I'm your enemy, I plan to love you until that doesn't happen anymore. By the way, love is not my go-to as a Christian. I, I want it to be. Genetically, there's something wrong with us. There's a question over here. I'll tell you this real quick story. My son-in-law, Josh Graves, ministered at Otter Creek. They and my daughter, they were telling Lucas, who was three, the, the Easter story. And he was getting visibly upset. And he said, who killed Jesus? And so Kara tried to say, well, you know, it's the Romans. They had a law. And he goes, he stopped her. And he says, no, you don't understand. I need names. <laughs> she called me. I said, I'm sorry. It is genetic. Uh, we, we have to fight who we are to love. I thought, oh, it's over here. Yes. Um, your sermon this morning, your, 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 your lesson was, was fabulous. Touched on some things that... Um, I've never heard said um, from the pulpit, things that I agree with. I admire your humility and the way you, you shared it. It's challenging. I admire uh, the way. I'm, 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 I'm positive that you're not exaggerating about the hate mail you get. I admire what you say, and I admire your humility. Being convicted today, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you and your wife are here. Thank and I you. look forward to getting to know you and, and getting to learn from you. Thank you. Thank you. Ditto on okay, Jared's good, thing good. there. Um, you mentioned in your sermon that you're surrounded by a bunch of Pentecostals at what you thought was a police convention or whatever. Yes. Can you give us your view of the Holy Spirit today and the giftings and elaborate a little bit on sure. that? Um, being the non-emotional Scott that I am, never spoken in tongues, this is not tongues, um, you might be. I love it when somebody here goes, I love your accent. I'm going, <laughs> and even better, those that go, oh, yeah, we wish we had your accent. And I'm going, you could have, but you shot us. <laughs> anyway, I'm not avoiding. I'm, I'm working my way to it. I believe that we have underplayed the Holy Spirit very seriously in our brotherhood because we're afraid that if we talk about him, he'll get out of control. So what we did in my fellowship where I was raised, uh, the, all the Holy Spirit done had 2,000 years ago dropped a big black leather-bound book down from heaven and a note in there that said, good luck, and uh, he had done nothing since. I could not be standing here answering the question without the Holy Spirit. I could not have been married for 34 years without the Holy Spirit. I cannot do this job without the Holy Spirit of God. Now, does that mean that I speak in tongues? No. Why? Most, you know, to be, to be really honest, probably because it was never a part of my culture. I was never taught. Do I think a Christian needs to? No, I don't. Well, then what? You know, will I stop you from speaking in tongues? No. Why? I don't argue with somebody's experience. If you 
have talked to God and he has blessed you in a particular way, I'm not going to lean in and go, that wasn't God, that was Beelzebub. Who am I to say such a thing? So instead, I will call you brother or sister and say, when we pray together, you know, if you could kind of keep it in, in the English family so that I can say amen at the end, that'd be cool. You know, if you would, if you would humble yourself for my weakness in that matter. Now, does the whole, people will say, what do you believe about miracles? Happens all the time. Absolutely. Uh, God's not a cosmic vending machine. You know, we can't put in two prayers, get out of healing. He does what he wants to do. You know, it, I want him to sell our house in Colorado. I don't want to become poor uh, forever. I want to wait till I'm retired to become destitute. <laughs> and that's months away. <laughs> the, uh, but I believe God will sell the house if he's interested when he wants to. But I don't think that's one of God's big priorities. I think God's more interested in the people than he is the sex and the mortar. Is God interested in, in healing all my diseases? No. Or he wouldn't let us die. One out of one dies. Easy statistic to remember. Right? But I do believe that we can ask him, and I have seen tumors go away, I have seen lungs reinflate, I have seen... A lot of things that science cannot explain, and I have said thank you, Jesus, and meant it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is very active. Francis Chan was correct when he called him the forgotten God. Uh, we do need to speak of the Holy Spirit. If we disagree on any aspect of the Holy Spirit, we need to be uh, Christian as we disagree and not refuse to accept each other. So, other other questions? There's another one over here. Oh, and one there. Um, challenges that the church might be facing. What, what are two of the challenges that you see the church is facing in the years to come? Uh, how do we overcome those challenges? And also, uh, who are your couple of your favorite uh, Christian authors? Hmm, okay. I, I have to speak generically here because I don't know what Franklin, you know, Fourth Avenue, I don't know what your challenges are yet. You know, that, see, that wasn't part of the deal. Part of the deal was, I know these elders, I trust these men, they trust me, let's go to work. Um, I'm, we're not, if you're looking for a grand master plan, this is the, you, you picked the wrong God. Uh, he does what he does. But the big challenge is, I want us to find a way to be the church God wants us to be on earth while still loving the people that brought us to this place. It is very easy to attack the right. Uh, they've made it easy. But that doesn't mean we attack them. We don't fight back. We don't write back. We don't answer back. We don't debate. If we do anything, we say, What's the best thing I can do for you right now? And we serve them in the name of Jesus Christ. As a church, we need to grow and be who God wants us to be, but not diss the people who came before. And that's hard. It's a challenge, but we can do it. The, um, another challenge we have is that people have been churched out. Uh, they're busy, and they don't see the point. 
And so when churches say, we need you Wednesday night, we need you for the men's group, we need you to have a small group, and then we have a church softball league, we need to give you... When, when do you get to be with your family? When do you get a, you know, hug a dog? You know, don't need to hug a cat, but a dog, you know, sorry, sorry. You cat people, we, we love you. <laughs> and we know who you are. Uh, but when, when do you get to... Um, to talk to non-Christians. So churches are going to have to balance what they believe you should do with what your life really is. You know, I, in our churches, we don't ask people to turn off their phones. We do ask them to silence them because, you know, a few people are still freaked out by instrumental music, and so when they go off, they, um, they, uh, the main, we, we ask them, use them, tweet the sermon, live tweet it post things while we're speaking. People will say, well, they used to be able to listen for an hour and a half. Yeah, they used to. Back when you had one channel of TV, if the wind was coming out of the Northeast, it was easy to focus. You have too many options now. We need to, we need to live in the world we have rather than wish the world was a different world. And that's hard to do. We can do it. It's a big challenge. The church has to change to fit the world that is instead of trying to make the world the way we want it to be. All right? Now, favorite authors. Oh, you said Christian authors. Okay, that shrinks it. Um, it does. I would say Greg Boyd would be right up there, who is a pacifist, by the way, and, and argues pretty convincingly for that, even though I'm not with him yet. But his book, um, God at War, Saved My Faith, uh, his book, Satan and the Problem of Evil, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. These are not beginner books. You know, if you've just graduated from uh, where the wild things are, this is probably not your next step. Uh, of course, I'm a big fan of Josh Graves, my son-in-law. I think he's a better man than I. But his church isn't better. Don't go there. Uh, no, <laughs> his church is fine. It's lovely, so it is. Um, other Christian authors that I would, uh, N.T. Wright, absolutely, uh, anything Tom Wright is, is, that's, that's what people in Britain call him as Tom, anything Tom writes is great. Um, if you're ready to have a serious challenge in your Christianity, Peter Enns, E-N-N-S, is another one, but don't go there if your faith is shaky, because he's not afraid to dissect everything, and it might frighten you. Honestly, Scott McKnight is doing a great job in his new books. Um, Francis Chan's doing all right. I don't always agree with any of these folk, but that's all right. I don't always agree with myself either. All right? But that's, that's where I'd start. Yeah. Yes. Hi. Got a question for you about, there's two pieces, I guess. One is you say you're not a pacifist. And mm -hmm. then there's the, but... Uh, do you see in the church today a tendency for us to be more politically correct, PC? Hmm. And then the other side of that is how do you balance that with being a part of the world or being in the world but not part of the world? I'm not really sure where you're going with the second one. The second one is really, I mean, how do we, the tendency in churches today tend to be to be all things to all people with, and in some cases, losing who we are as an identity, as a church, as, as a church of God, a church of Christ. Mm -hmm. Not the big 
see but the smallest. Gotcha. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I think so. Um, raise your hand if I don't answer your question, if I go off in the wrong way, okay? Because I want to be honorable to you. Um, I'm not a pacifist for the same reason that C.S. Lewis is not a was not a pacifist. He, uh, he also died on the day that Jack Kennedy died, and Aldous Huxley died on the same day. It was a big day, an uh, amazing day. But um, C.S. Lewis gave a, a speech to the Pacifist Society of Britain on why I'm not a pacifist. And you can find it online if you go look. To boil it down is, I'm not a pacifist because it's not heaven yet. And there is still evil that has to be confronted. And I will confront that evil if God gives me the strength and ability to do so. Even if it means that I must harm another to save others, I believe that that is acceptable. If you do not believe that that's acceptable, you and I are still brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will work our way through it. You have nothing to fear from me. I'm not going to walk stomp through life. How do I, uh, if I'm not a pacifist, then does that mean that I approve of all wars? No. No, 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 no. I don't like war, because war is, is uh, one government deciding to send its children against another government's children. It is, it's, you know, when did you get to decide to go to war? You're told to. You know, and so I think you ought to keep your own decision-making process and decide what you do and what you don't do before God. And as Romans 14 would say, he will make you stand. You, you, you just work it out with God. How do we work in the world without becoming the world? The world actually, let's go back to the Holy Spirit question. I believe the Holy Spirit's at work in the world because a lot of political correctness, although it, makes, it turns my stomach sometimes when people do PC stuff, a lot of political correctness is actually nothing else than being nice to each other. And God leading people to be kind to each other is not a bad thing. We can, we can work with this. What happens if Christians are looked at as the only judgmental group? That's not good. There are a whole lot of people out there that need Jesus and won't come in here because they're, they're afraid they'll be judged. What if they knew they'd be loved? They'd be different. Does that mean that we ignore their sins? No. But it means we love them so much we have a basis from which to work with their sins. You know, um, if, I, if we're in pioneer days or something in Colorado and you go down the street and there's a big thing about, there's a big tent for the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered group, You'll see Christians frowning at them. Not me. I'll go over and say, how you doing? <laughs> you know, they get all excited. They think they got a recruit, you know, and I'm, I'm just, um, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I'd like to pray for you, leader. And they, they get very nervous. I said, no, no, I'm not going to pray. Lord, change them. I'm asking, what do you need? How can I serve you today? Because the fact is, I'm not going to change any of them. Not until they love me and I love them. So we've got to find some basis. That's not political correctness. That's love. And I think we ought to call it by that name. Will, are we in danger of losing our distinctives? Let's be fair. A lot of them need to be lost. We need to be known for the people that love Jesus and love each other. Did I answer your question? Okay. We only have uh, time for two more questions, and then we need to wrap it up. Hi, I'd love to know um, about family, uh, brothers, sisters, children, and maybe, and very important, grandchildren. Okay. 
Uh, we'll start with the grandchildren. We have Lucas and Fenn. Um, they are four and two. They're the sons of our daughter, Kara, uh, who's over there, Nolensville, they, uh, at Otter Creek. Uh, Fenn is short and stocky, two-year-old, wild, long hair. Lucas, very tall, very thin. Uh, for Halloween, my wife made Fenn a kilt and a Jacobean shirt and painted his face blue, and he was William Wallace. <laughs> who also, I hear, was not a pacifist, but maybe I'm digressing. <laughs> I love that movie, except for the last 15 minutes. It doesn't end well for us. Uh, the the uh, uh, other Mel Gibson's movies don't either, like The Patriot. I like the first half. It's brilliant. Anyway, um, the... Uh, my, my wife, I met my wife in Colorado. Uh, I was off doing a visit, and I saw her, and I went, whoa, I'm moving to Colorado. Uh, I, I had no idea how to, how to date a Colorado girl, so we, I studied, did some research, because I'm a researcher, and uh, found out Colorado people like to do horses. So we rode horses and rode horses on our first date until I ran out of quarters, and then I didn't know what to do. <laughs> And people will say, how, do you, how did you know she was the one? Well, she didn't mace me. And that was, the, most of my dates ended with me on the floor in a fetal position. So this was good. Uh, so we've been married for 34 years. We've, we've lived um, back in Scotland, obviously. We came back to America. We've lived uh, mainly in the Midwest. And she is from Colorado. So we went out there thinking that's where we'll stay. But God was working on us about this. Um, you need to know this is a hard decision for us. Not because we don't want to be here. We do. We just didn't want to not be there. You know, and so it was, um, and it was hard on your elders as well because they don't want to get my hate mail. Uh, they don't want to be party to this. Anyway, um, my father, um, good man, good man, just to the right of Attila the Hun, um, he disowned me over a year ago because of my belief in grace and love. And he will not speak to me on the phone or have anything to do with me. I can talk to my mother if he's out of the room or she's in hospital or something. They are both in Appalachia. They have a passion for the poor. Always have. Always have. Uh, they're both 82, almost 83, and they're failing. And that's another reason why coming over here made sense. I can get up there in about seven hours, take care of them. You see, he disowned me, but I did not disown him. I will love him. Um, my, um, my, my daughter is 30 years old, and she is she's just amazing to us. Absolutely amazing. Um, beautiful, brilliant, incredible mommy. Uh, we sent her through Lipscomb. We paid for a vast amount of education for her just to decide, you know what I really want to do is stay home and raise kids. <laughs> and we're happy. We think we got our money's worth. Our son is uh, my hero. Uh, he was 0311, he, infantry, a door kicker for the United States Marine Corps. He wanted to spend his life there, uh, but the current political situation is shrinking the Marine Corps and was going to force him to be a sniper. Even though he is one of their best shots, he decided he did not want to live his life as a sniper. And that was his only option. And so he stepped aside with much tears and has rebuilt his life with a fantastic Christian girl in the Detroit area where we served for 10 years. He works a secular job, but he also, every Sunday, works with the homeless ministries we started when we were there. 
So we're very proud of our family. Um, we're very happy that Cammy put some gene, the chlorine in the gene pool and that we've got a new start. We got that, is that it? Okay.